Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Revelation here this evening, chapter chapter number 11. Uh, we got started in that last week. We'll finish that up this week and we'll go on, amen, here tonight. Uh, we've been talking about temples and witnesses and the seventh trumpet uh, is what we started last week. We want to continue starting with verse number seven. We got as far as dabbling a little bit in these witnesses last week, and so we'll continue now. The Bible says in verse number seven, and when they shall have finished their testimony, speaking of the two witnesses, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. They of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall, shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelleth, that dwelt rather on the earth. Again, temples, witnesses, and the seventh trumpet. This is part 10B. Amen tonight. Let's ask God to help us as we commonly do. Lord Jesus, we need your help tonight. God, we need, Lord Jesus, you to shine. God, Lord, enlightenment, revelation, Lord God, upon your word. Help us, God, to understand the scriptures. Help me, Lord, to adequately, Lord Jesus, explain, Lord Jesus, the word of the Lord. I pray, oh God, but we need your teacher, God, on board tonight. That Holy Ghost. Lord, that will lead and guide us into all truth, Scripture says. We need it to be on board, Lord, in this place, God, tonight, to help aid, guide, and direct us, Lord, and we'll thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in the lovely name of the Lord. So we left up concerning and talking about the two witnesses last week, and so we will pick up uh, from there. Our attention was directed toward them. And last week, we gave some consideration who these two witnesses might be. Uh, remember that we considered the idea of it being Elijah and Enoch, two men that uh, never died but were translated. We also considered the concept and idea of it being Elijah and Moses because of the description of these two witnesses, some of the things that they were enabled to do or had the power to do of calling uh, down, down, calling the, the heavens to shut up, if you will, so that it would not rain and, and uh, being able to turn water into blood and, and any, which, any which plague it seems as though they would desire to place upon the people that seemed to harmonize very well with the life of Elijah and that of Moses in that hour. But if at least, if nothing more, we could, because we don't know for sure, we understood that last week, we don't know for sure, but if anything else, of these two people, if they have those type of capabilities, they are very similar then, if at least. Uh, to Elijah and to Moses and so uh, being able to do all of these things that just brings those two or those types of people to the forefront of our minds and the Bible speaks to us namely in verse number five that that during the day of their prophesying or during the days of their witness if anyone tries to 
hurt them, if anybody tries to do any harm to them, that they will not be able to be successful. They will not be successful. The Bible says that fire will proceed out of their mouths and they will destroy their enemy and they will consume them. Uh, so evidently God is very, very purposeful in the witness that they are given and the testimony they are given because it doesn't matter what comes against them during that time frame, it will not overcome them. It will not harm them. So he is very intentional about the message and the witness, the testimony being made known uh, to whoever it gets to in that three and a half year period of time. So they will not suffer defeat and they will not suffer death. As a matter of fact, verse number seven says it like this. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them. In other words, it's not until they have finished their purpose uh, of arriving, coming, and doing. It's not until they finish their purpose that they even receive any trouble from the beast of the bottomless pit. And the Bible goes on and say it comes against them, it overcomes them, and it even kills them. But that will not and cannot happen until they finish their purpose, until they come to do what they were supposed to do, be that witness, and hold that testimony. No one, nothing, will be able to overcome them until they finish their purpose. Now, I tell you what, that, 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 there's quite a bit of comfort if I was one of those witnesses. There's comfort in knowing that, and I think there's a certain element of that, uh, if I can digress here for a moment, I think there's a certain element of that in all of our lives that whenever we leave this world, it's because the purpose is over, amen, that, that, that we are they're serving or going on. But whenever they've done everything they were sent to do, the Bible says the beast from the bottomless pit will come against them and will kill them. And then as the story goes, it's very peculiar, but they're going to lie in the streets of the great city for three and a half days. But the Bible speaks to us that the whole world, or I wouldn't say the whole world, so they're lying dead in the streets of the great city, but the whole world, it specifies the people, the kindreds, the tongues, the nations, they that dwell upon the earth, just to kind of include it all, the whole world will see them, these two witnesses, these two bodies, lying dead in the great city and rejoice over their deaths. Now, first of all, we must ask ourselves the question, they'll be lying in the streets of the great city uh, for three and a half days in verse number eight. Well, what great city are we speaking of here? Well, for further clarification of what the great city was, the Bible says it's spiritually called uh, Sodom, which was a city, and Egypt, which was a nation. Well, that, you know, <laughs> that really helped us out, spiritually called uh, Sodom and Egypt. But for further clarification, it tells us it is the place our Lord was crucified. And so therefore, hands down, we understand that we're talking the great city, we're talking about Jerusalem. We're talking about Jerusalem is the place that these two will be laying in the streets uh, for three and a half days. And with that in mind, we understand then at this particular stage in time that Jerusalem spiritually, uh, the city that's known throughout Scripture as the city of God, uh, the one where he put his name there, right now it is in a spiritual calamity because it is spiritually being spoken of as Sodom. And if we go back to Old Testament time and look at Sodom and Gomorrah, we understand it was a very immoral city. Uh, there was immorality in the city of Sodom. And it's spiritually called Egypt. 
Again, if we go back and understand Egypt, Egypt was that which was associated with bondage. It was associated with worldliness. Jerusalem, the holy city of God, the place where he put his name, had digressed to a place of Sodom, of immorality, and digressed to a place of worldliness because un- undoubtedly the characters or, or the people, the inhabitants of this city has just become tainted just like the people of Sodom and just like the people of Egypt. And you say, man, Brother McGee, that's hard, that's hard to grasp a hold of. And I agree, yeah, it is, but we must remember what we've already learned up to this point of time, that the Jewish people will have already been exposed to much, much judgment, much of the hand of God upon them with pressure, trying to turn their hearts and their lives back in the direction that it need to go. Yet the common theme of appearance that we get again and again, but the people repented not. But the people repented not. And so they're getting in that hardened state. They are becoming, if you will, spiritually like Sodom and like Egypt. And so if these two witnesses, if their bodies are in the streets of Jerusalem, the question then arises, how will the whole world see them and rejoice? I mean, is there going to be a parade of people from all the world that's passing by in three and a half days that's going to see these two bodies? What we have here is something that I think is a very good example. Years ago, this in Revelation 11 was very problematic for people who studied prophecy. It was very difficult for people who studied prophecy because at that time they're trying to figure out how can the whole world see these two that are lying dead in the street years ago. But we know today that doesn't pose a problem. Because you can have television, social media, satellites, the internet capture that moment, have it in the hands of people within seconds of it happening. Within seconds of whether it happened. Because where we stand with technology, uh, in moments the whole world can know a happening on the other side of the globe. I mean, for that matter, if, if, if people want to see this, and I'm just, I'm just kind of speaking out here, you know, someone could set up a 24-hour webcam of the two bodies that's laying dead in the streets of Jerusalem if people wanted the, the fix of being able to see two dead witnesses that tormented them with their testimony and message and check on it on their lunch hour and, and just see, you know, whatever may be going on, whatever may be taking place. And so this is a real good example in Revelation chapter 11, how something that we may read in prophecy today, and I speak for our hour, how something you may read in prophecy in your time frame, in your culture, in the time that you live, may seem to you right now impossible. How can this take place? How can this happen? This don't make sense. But with just in a few years, that confusion or that avenue may be made open just because technology has changed or the dynamics of the world has changed. So whenever you read something, you say, well, that can't be because that couldn't happen right now. Well, it might not be able to happen right now, but a few years removed from now, that very well may be possible because our world is constantly changing. And so because of the new developments of the world, it's quite possible everybody in the world could see these two uh, that, that have bothered the nations, if you will, for three and a half years. And I would dare to say, if the world is interested in it, and if these two are namely in the region of Jerusalem and that surrounding area, that there's probably something going to be broadcast about what they're doing when they're alive. 
amen, to have the follow-up story about whenever they're dead lying in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half years. Now, the Bible plainly says that the people will not bury, and I'm just kind of running here through Revelations 11, that the people will not bury these dead bodies. And that, that, that's really a statement for the Jewish people because the Jewish people, they normally buried their dead the same day. And so it was a... It was a, a a connotation or denoting disrespect whenever you didn't get a body in the grave within 24-hour period. So they're making a statement here by not burying these three and a half, uh, these two men for, for three and a half days because they're being very disrespectful. They had no respect for these two witnesses and nor for their message or their testimony that they shared for those three and a half years And as verse 10 states, it seems that their message tormented the people. Who knows? I don't know uh, what the totality of their message was, but I would dare to say that their message was similar to the message that's been coming through judgment for the Jewish people time and time again. Boys, you need to straighten up. You need to get right. There's doom, despair, all of this coming. And they're like, well, we've already heard that before. But what you see and you hear, even in God's horrific judgment during this time, there is still flickers at elements of his grace and mercy in that he would send two men back to the earth to testify for three and a half years. If that isn't a grace of God, then I don't know what is. If that is not him being merciful with his people, the Israelites, then I don't know what is. Let me tell you something. If anybody ever goes to hell, they will have to do it by stepping over God's grace and his mercy. Amen. So, so they're, 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 they're not being respectful of them. Instead of respect, instead of repentance, the Bible portrays them in verse 10 that they are rejoicing that these two are dead. And as I close with last week, they are, this is bizarre, they are sending gifts one to another and they're having a party, so to say because these two are dead. They're having a satanic Christmas of sorts. They're sending gifts to one another because of these two that are dead. Now listen to me very clearly. I don't know if there's constant coverage on these bodies. Everybody though knows and sees that they are dead, but there's something I want to explain to you very quickly. After death, the body will, within within those days for sure, but within hours, but after death, the body becomes cold. The body then eventually becomes stiff the body will eventually start having discoloration. I'm talking about within this time frame of three and a half days. It'll suffer discoloration. Many times starting out green, turning to purple, and eventually black due to the bacteria and enzymes that are in different parts of your digestive system that start to break the body down. All right? Then there will no doubt be a smell associated with this process of this happening. Gases then are building up in the body with the breaking down of these enzymes and bacteria within the body, sometimes causing bloating of the body. I'm talking about within this three and a half day time period that so much gas built up in the body can even cause the eyes and the eye sockets to start bulging out of their eye sockets. The tongue will begin to swell and thicken and sometimes even be protruding out of the mouth. Now, what I want you to understand is the people in Jerusalem, all that are still seeing this at day three and a half are looking on this type of condition right here. A cold, stiff, 
gaseous body, likely discolored, likely with sockets of their eyes bulging from their head, tongue bulging from their mouth, a stench. All these conditions are right there within those few days of death. These, these men have been laying there for three and a half days. People's hand and gifts, they're celebrating and making merry. Not only that, but all the people that's viewed them from day to day have noticed, no doubt, the deterioration that's come upon those bodies. And with all of that considered, I want to paint that backdrop, because with all of that considered, imagine the commotion that ensues when on the third and a half day, suddenly the spirit of life from God returns to these bodies and they stand up. Cold is gone. Discoloration, gone. Gaseous whatever, gone. Whatever was a former return back to normal, gone. For three and a half days, here they are. We've seen the decline and in a moment of time, they stand up. Let me tell you, there is no witness like that witness right there. Amen. There is no witness like that witness right there. And you just think, well, man, that, that should just really change the whole thing. Let me tell you, folks, you know the sad thing is the condition where they are? I don't know how much change that will be for some folks. Because whenever even Lazarus was in hell and he spoke, or not Lazarus, when the rich man was in hell and he spoke to Lazarus and said, will you cool my tongue? Do you understand that he said, hey, I want you to go send somebody to my brother's that they don't come to this place. And you know what? You know what the, the Lazarus said? He said, hey, even if one arose from the dead, they would not hear and they would not believe. They said, well, man, look at that. What about it, folks? The message of the Bible is from one who has risen from the dead. If you're not willing to accept this message... Hallelujah. Hallelujah then there is no reason why they would necessarily accept that message of that day. In verse 11, the Bible says, as a result of this, no doubt, and great fear fell on them which saw them. I think so too if I was handing out gifts and having confetti thrown and drinking and all this other stuff being merry over their death and all of a sudden, uh-oh, their life. Amen. And I believe those them is not just referring to those in the general vicinity that witnessed this. I believe that them is referring to the old world that evidently saw them lying there in the streets of Jerusalem, whether they saw them by way. Now you imagine, yeah, you want channel whatever on that now. You want to, you want to ostracize them whenever they were given their testimony. You want to rejoice over it whenever they're dead. Now what type, of, what, 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 what type of field do you got for what's happening right now? Amen. And so all of them, fear fell upon all of them which saw them. And there was a voice from heaven that spoke and beckoned them to heaven. And the Bible says basically, and so they went. And so they went. And evidently, evidently here according to scripture, evidently they ascended slowly or slow enough that their enemies could see them. According to, according to the verse of scripture, that evidently they went slow enough so that their enemies could see them because verse 12 says, and their enemies beheld them. There was some type of similarity whenever Christ ascended to heaven because some of the disciples even gathered around some angels approached them, why stand ye here gazing? The same Jesus that goes away is going to come in like manner so that they even seen them ascend up into the heaven and the bible says within the same hour you want to talk about man clicking some things off within the same hour of their 
these two resurrecting after three and a half days of death, the Bible says there was a great earthquake there in the vicinity of Jerusalem. It says a tenth of the city, a tenth of, of Jerusalem would fall and that 7,000 lost their lives there in Jerusalem. If God is ever trying to get the attention of his Jewish people, he's trying to get their attention. Look at verse 13. The Bible says the remnant, those that were left after the earthquake and after the 7,000 that lost their lives, the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. It appears that they gave glory. Can I say this? Since, since the theme has been no repentance for them, this is what I expect, and this is just my opinion, that they are in all of what happened, but not necessarily converted by what happened. Why do you say that, Brother McGee? Because we deal with the same stuff today. They dealt with similar stuff in Old Testament times. People were at all of his miracles at all of his capability to demonstrate and do, but they never made no life change themselves. They're enamored by what he has the power to do, but they don't want that power being demonstrated in their own life by their life being changed concerning their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. They'll accept the power for healing, but don't touch the way I live my life. Amen. And so, so this is happening that they get glory, but I believe it's, it's kind of an awe, a bewilderment, but without being converted, no repentance, at least there's none spoken of. And so there is one question that we, we were left with. Brother Alex, can you get my board over there? Yeah, I was just saving it. Amen. Get my board over there. Don't really pay attention to what's on it right now, but I, I want to talk a, a little bit about something. Uh, one question that we were left unanswered from last week was, these two witnesses, which three and a half years are they doing their witnessing? During the first three and a half years of the tribulation or the last three and a half? You're fine, just bring it out just like that blank side, that direction. Thank you very much. Or, or the last half of the three and a half years of tribulation. And in my personal opinion, amen. See, that's the reason I don't want you to be concerned with what's up there right now. Uh, in my personal opinion, I believe someone would be staring real hard. I just don't, I can't see it. I save somebody from lifting their voice and saying that and making a fool of, yeah, never mind. I believe they witnessed during the first half of the tribulation. And uh, I'll give you some reasons why. If they function during the last half of the tribulation, then the end of these two witnesses, listen to me, would coincide with the destruction of the beast at the close of the last week of Daniel. All right? If, if, if they are dying and all this taking place is at, at the end of the seven years of tribulation, that's also the time frame that the Antichrist and all of that is going to pot. Yet, the Bible says in Revelations 11 that it's at that time where they meet their death that it's the beast from the bottomless pit that comes up and takes their lives. And so, I, I, so if the beast is coming up at that time, it's hard for him to reign and die all at the same time. And so, so I, I see this more as, as, as the first half of the tribulation. Secondly, uh, during the last half, during the last half of the tribulation, remember the Antichrist somewhere around midway of that seven years. Is everybody getting this in mind of this last week? You, I don't have to draw nothing, right? You got that. At that midway of that half week, that's where the Antichrist is supposed to enter the temple, proclaim himself to be God, all right, 
and, and prior to being overcome at the end of their mission, they are described, remember, these two witnesses, they're described as being invincible. Invincible, right? Nobody can touch them. They're going to do everything they can do. Uh, fire will come out of their mouth and proceed and go forth and overtake any of their enemies. They are invincible. So it doesn't make sense, listen to me, if it were to happen in the second half, it doesn't make sense that the Antichrist would be able to go into the temple of Jerusalem, proclaim himself to be God, and do all these things if these two witnesses served in the second half because nobody can stand in their way. I can't, if, and if that's the case, I can't see them permitting him to go in there and do that. You understand? Because hands down they'd win because nothing's going to stand in their way. So again, I have uh, difficulty thinking that it would be the last half. However, it does to me make sense that after the beast kills these two witnesses that nobody could harm, nobody could do anything against, that would be a good platform if they were ministering during the, three, the first three and a half years and the beast then came out of the bottomless pit, defeated them that nobody could defeat, that would be a great platform then for him to enter the temple. You understand what I'm saying? That would, that would be a great wave to ride with the clout that, hey, I took care of two that nobody could take care of and ride that wave of then walking into the temple himself, proclaiming himself to be God and being able to be accepted by a large portion of people being that he done that. And so, and go in there and stop the sacrifices and, and stop the offerings and do the abomination of desolation, if you will, polluting and defiling the temple. Uh, that, that, that would support placing their activity at the first part of the tribulation. Someone say amen. So if Christ returns with the resurrected saints to the earth, at the end of the last week, because he's coming back with his church at the end of the seven-year tribulation, because there's going to be a battle of Armageddon fought. His church is coming with him. Will be a part of that battle. He's going to set up his kingdom up on the earth. And so if he returns with the saints at the end of the last week of Daniel, why do these two resurrected witnesses ascend to heaven? And what I'm saying is, if they are in the second part of the three and a half years, why do they die? And then he says, come up hither when everybody's coming down to the earth to do battle at the Battle of Armageddon. Again, that's another premise why I think that perhaps they are serving in the first part of the three and a half years. Because for me, and this is, I know this is just human thinking. I'm just throwing an opinion out here. To me, it wouldn't make sense to take them up to bring them back down for the Battle of Armageddon, okay? That's, that's just me. Now, whether they serve their mission in the first half of the tribulation or the second half of the tribulation, uh, no doubt, hands down, I believe we all understand either way. Either way, it's going to be quite a display of power. Amen. Regardless where it is actually positioned. Quite a testimony of being resurrected from the streets. When we go to Revelations 11 and verse number 14, Sister McGee actually throw a scripture up there. The Bible says, the second woe is past. And behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Now, just for a refresher, the first woe was the fifth trumpet. The second woe was the sixth trumpet. The third woe is the seventh trumpet. So this scripture is telling us the second woe or the sixth trumpet is past. It's done. It's finished. Behold, the third woe or the seventh trumpet cometh quickly. 
And with that, we go to Revelation 11 and verse 15. The Bible says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worship God saying we give thanks we give thee thanks O Lord God Almighty which art and wast and art to come because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned now all we know here is that the seventh angel of heaven sounds and that heaven starts to praise and worship so there is the sounding of the trumpet and heaven breaks into a praise party the 24 elders as we seen long ago a representation of the church they are falling down and they are worshiping we don't at this point at just the initial blowing of the trumpet we don't have what the judgments are because there seems to be judgments associated with each one of these the seals and the trumpets so on and so forth we don't have a description of what those judgments are until you got to fast forward through the book of Revelation to Revelation chapter 15 where the vials are poured out which are tucked into the seventh trumpet. The vials are poured out. And so the angel sounds but the description of what the judgments really are are kind of held off till we get to chapter number 15. And we'll see in the, the next few weeks in chapters 12 and 13 and 14, a lot of that's going to be discussing about the career of the Antichrist and the beast and the false prophet that take place. Some more fill-in chapters that's going to give us more information. Amen. Uh, we have mentioned this in previous lessons, and I just touch on it again, and I'm just going to grab a quote from somebody. But we have mentioned in previous lessons uh, some of the thinking of some behind assuming that the seventh trumpet in the book of Revelation correlates with the last trump or the rapture trump spoken of in 1 Corinthians 15, 52. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Some uh, have this concept that the last trumpet in Revelation, or, or let me say that more, more, more plainly, the seventh trumpet in Revelation is the last trump, meaning that the rapture will take place at that moment. Now, we have already discussed at length why we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I'm not going back through that. But just to uh, give more light upon this subject, I'd like to give a quote from Arnold Frunchtenbaum again here tonight, The Footsteps of Messiah. He says, This cannot be what is meant by the last trump at the time that 1 Corinthians was written. He said John had not written Revelation at that time. He said the Corinthians would not have any knowledge of seven trumpets in the book of revelation the only knowledge they would have of trumpets are those spoken of in the old testament especially those of the feast of trumpets the last trump he says refers to the feast of trumpets and the jewish practice of blowing trumpets at this feast each year he says during the ceremony there are a series of short trumpet sounds concluding with one long trumpet blast which is called the tekia gedola and he said, the great trumpet blast is what it means. He says, this is what Paul means by the last trump. And so, uh, again, just underscoring, we gave all our reasons early on. You want to hear them, go back to the podcast and listen to them. 
Amen. And just for just a real quick commercial break concerning that, I was doing some uploading uh, today of casts while I was doing other things. And they changed the dynamics and they have new statistics and stuff on there that you can gauge. And we started doing podcasts around uh, May or April of the year 2011. And since that time until now, there have been almost 120,000 podcast downloads from the first episode, for the first apostolic church, 120,000. So whenever I said like Sunday night, I know I have an audience that's beyond the, the, this arena. We have an audience that's beyond this arena. If in that amount of time, that, if you, I started do, crunching some numbers. Actually, I figured up how many weeks that was and divided that number. And you're talking about a good 500 and some odd per week in order for that to take place. So, uh, so the message is getting out. And thank you for your contribution of giving to the church in order to enable that, amen, to take place. Thank you for that, uh, for your time. This has been sponsored by Paul McGee. And, and I just so, so you probably heard enough of that already, I'm sure. I'm sorry. Amen. Going on. Amen. The Bible speaks in, in, in verse, let me get my bearings now. I got all carnal here. The Bible speaks in verse number 15 of, this, of the seventh angel that sounded that it says great voices in heaven saying, you got up there for me, thank you. The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and forever. In our English Bibles, the word is the kingdoms with the S, the plural, kingdoms. But I looked in some helps here this week and in the original Greek language, there's ways that you can look up. It tells you whether the Greek word is plural or whether it is singular. In the Greek, it is singular. Not the kingdoms of this world, but the kingdom of this world. And we have, there is really only one kingdom in this world. It may be divided into various nations, people, languages, religions. But if it's not a part of his kingdom, it's a part of another kingdom. There's really only one kingdom of the world that's under one king. Not only that, this may, and this is maybe a stretch, but I'm just throwing this out there. This may, the fact in the Greek that it really only, only uh, clarifies one kingdom or kingdom rather than kingdoms, it's a possibility, folks, that that one kingdom that it's denoting there in the Greek could be referring to what will come about and has been talked about for years of a new world order or a one world order, a one world, one government, one religion, one monetary system, one military system, one kingdom. It could possibly be alluding to. In that day, the Bible spoke back in our study in Daniel. Remember, there will be a stone that comes that's cut without hands and it will break in pieces all the other kingdom and God will what set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed an everlasting kingdom that will rule and reign forever and again the Bible says the kingdoms our English translation the kingdoms of this world or I say are are become the, 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 the kingdoms of our Lord this word are become here again a little delving into the Greek but the words are become there 
actually means this. It means it's something that will take place in the future, but it's so sure of its happening that it's spoken as though if it's taken place, already taken place. The Greek language, the languages go a whole lot further than English languages. So in the concept of that, that word is, he's saying that the, kingdom, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of God because we're just at the start of the blasting of the seventh trumpet. He's not coming back right now to the earth and setting up his kingdom. There's still some things that are going to unfold. But it's already speaking as that, as though it's already taken place because they're so sure and certain of it happening. Amen. And so it is going to take place and it is going to happen. But we're speaking as though it's already done. It's kind of like whenever Christ sometimes, in the, in, it's like whenever Jesus was in the garden of John 17. And he spoke and he was praying in his high priestly prayer. And he says, I've already glorified thee. The work had already been done of Calvary and the cross, but it had not actually taken place yet. But it already had in the mind of God. It was sure and certain. It had taken place. He was so sure of it and certain of it, he talked about it as though it already was. Revelation 11 and verse number 18. The Bible says, And nations were angry, and thy wrath has come. The time of the dead that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. Verse number 18 is very, very forward-looking. It's taking in a long period of, of, of time, of history within its range. It's looking ahead. It's saying with the opening of this seventh trumpet, it's going to give way to several things that's going to culminate if you will, and end with uh, the, the time of the dead, of them being judged, and rewards given to servants and the prophets, small and great, destroying those which destroy the earth. So it's looking way down the road and saying again that these things are so certain, we're talking about them as though they have already happened. Because as a result, with the opening of or the blowing of the seventh trumpet, it's going to give way to those seven vials and give way to these other things it's speaking of, the judgment of the dead and the rewarding of, of, of the small, and the great and all these other things because whenever you blow that last trumpet within that are those seven vials and whenever those seven vials as a subset are completed you have the return of Christ to the earth with his church you have the battle of Armageddon after that you have the millennial reign of Christ that will take place for a thousand years don't want to get anybody, anybody getting lost in, the, in all of this amen well, I did some drawing today, folks, that might help or further hurt somebody. Amen. And you might not be able to see it from what I try to even use some different colors. Amen. And I, I, I know that whenever I'm standing here, that that really helps you see. So I even got out a pointer to help us out here tonight. But whenever, whenever all those seven vials finally take place, again, you have the second coming of Christ. He's coming to the earth with his church. His church are going to do battle, amen, against the forces of evil. That will be the battle of Armageddon. It's going to take place right after that happening. And then you'll have that millennial reign of Christ, 1,000 years of reign of peace. And the reason why it's so peaceful is because at that same time, at the beginning of this reign, Satan, one angel, is going to come with one chain, bind Satan and throw him southward for 1,000 years so Satan's bound for a thousand years and God is reigning the earth for a thousand years with peace because we're not going to have no problem with Satan during that time. But at the end of the thousand years, 
the Bible says that he will be loose for a little season. It is during this time that loosed for a little season, the purpose of being loosed for a little season is that he's still going to try the hearts of people that still dwell upon the earth. And it's going to be the last test of who's rejecting. And once all the rejectors have rejected, then comes the great white throne judgment. If you'll allow me to get my notes, I might hold them in my hand, look down here to there, amen, to go through just a few of these things. I don't want this thing turning sideways on me. The Bible speaks of a couple of things. It speaks of the time in verse number 18. You still got that? Thank you so much, dear. The Bible speaks the time of the dead that they should be judged. Again, speaking down the road, amen, from the sounding of the seventh trumpet, but it is going to happen, amen. Whenever it speaks of the word time here, the time of the dead, it denotes a specific time, a specified time, a fixed or definite period, a time that God will judge the dead, all right? It, again, God is very purposeful. He is not thinking, well, when all this gets done, this is going to happen. He already has a designated time. God has a very good timetable. Now, we might not be included in all when those times are on the calendar, but they're on his calendar. He has a specified designated time. And, you know, you talk about your time or my time. Well, we're on God's time, all of us. <laughs> he has a very specified time. As a matter of fact, did I give you Daniel chapter number 12, Sister McGee? Back at Daniel chapter 12, we studied this, the last chapter of Daniel, verses 1 through 3, if we may read. The Bible says, At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble. Speaking of the great tribulation, such as never was since. That absolutely describes the great tribulation. There was a nation. There was a nation since such as never was since there was a nation, it's wordy, even to that same time, at the time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Verse number two, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. Now, I tried not to get real deep into this tonight, and I'm not going to. I'm just going to hit the tops of the trees. But the rapture of the church taking place at the, the very beginning before the seven years tribulation ever starts. Remember, the dead in Christ shall rise first. All right? The dead in Christ shall rise first. The Bible speaks of here that there's still going to be some that sleep in the dust of the earth that shall awake. All right? There is going to be, and according to the scripture, this is going to be happening at the end of the great tribulation. There's going to be a resurrection that happens then. What's going to be happening at the end of the great tribulation, there's still going to be people during the tribulation years, people that were born during that time that would, as we call them, tribulation saints or martyrs that will be dead, that will be resurrected at that time, all right? And it says some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. I want to talk about that here in a little bit. Because the two everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt, that is not all at the same time. As a matter of fact, there's about a separation of a thousand-year millennial reign of Christ that separates those to life and those to contempt. All right? Everlasting contempt. Amen. From what I understand, and I've stated this before, maybe back when we uh, did Daniel, there are two categories of resurrection. The Bible speaks of the first resurrection and the second resurrection. Amen. If you'll remember me whenever I spoke about Daniel's first resurrection, we're talking about whenever Christ rose from the dead, there were some that resurrected, you remember. 
There's the resurrection of the saints with the rapture of the church. There's the resurrection, for instance, for the two witnesses. Huh? There's the resurrection then of those that would be called tribulation saints or those that are martyred. All of that group is first resurrection people. The second resurrection is only, and I denote here, at the end of the millennial reign, is only the wicked dead. The second resurrection are only for the wicked dead. Someone say amen. All right? So there's, there's two resurrections. First resurrection people to everlasting life. Second resurrection people to everlasting contempt. Now the righteous, the righteous dead, if I can speak of them in terms like that, the righteous dead are resurrected by the start of the millennial reign of Christ. All of the righteous dead. Those that happened whenever Christ was resurrected, the, the rapture of the church, and those tribulation saints and martyrs, those who have died during that time period, was faithful to God but did not reject him during the church age. Remember us having the story, you reject him then, you don't have a chance in tribulation. All right? Amen. But all of the first resurrection people, they are going to all be resurrected by the time of the millennial reign of Christ. Why so? So that they can participate in the battle of Armageddon. Mm -hmm. So they'll be participants in the battle of Armageddon, coming back with Christ to do battle against all the evil forces as it were. But the unrighteous dead, unrighteous dead, amen, will come at the end of the millennial reign of Christ. So there's about a thousand years separation from the two. The resurrection of the unrighteous dead and their final judgment is taking place at the great white throne judgment. Amen. As a matter of fact, a consequence of the great white throne judgment for them is what's called the second death. Because these people have already died once. They've been resurrected the resurrection of the wicked, they were judged, and they're sent back, if you will, to the lake of fire. Hell and death, the Bible says, will be put in the lake of fire. And it says in Revelations 20, I believe it is, which is the second death. But we have hope for the righteous dead. In Revelation 20 and verse 6, and for the church for that matter, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death, what would take place down here, has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So the first resurrected people, again, their resurrection must take place prior to the millennial reign because it says they shall reign with him a thousand years. So all of that's taken place in before the middle of the rain and they don't have to worry about this second death. They don't have to worry about the lake of fire. But scripture portrays the righteous dead will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5 verse number 10 for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Let me tell you something. Whenever the rapture of the church, those that are dead in Christ are raptured, first resurrection, tribulation, martyr saints, raptured, we all go before the judgment seat of Christ. Now listen to me. What we are being judged for here 
is our works. Listen to me. The judgment of our lives, listen, already took place at Calvary. Someone hearing me? Judgment for the church, judgment for believers, first resurrection people, already took place at Calvary because on Calvary, he took our sins, our wrongs, at Calvary, and they were judged through crucifixion in our stead. So if you've been repented, baptized, Jesus' name, filled the Holy Ghost, death, burial, resurrection, that judgment has already taken place for you. Whenever we go to the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to be judged for our works. Say, Brother McGee, this is just a little weird. Listen to me. John 5, verse number 24 says this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. What does Romans say? There, therefore now is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Look, he says that you have everlasting life, but is passed from death unto life. Amen. From death unto life. Now, what that comes down to mean is this the righteous dead will not have to be at the great white throne judgment that's for the wicked dead alright that's for the wicked dead amen all uh, else of, of humanity uh, human beings the wicked dead of all creation will be there except for the children of God because those who have received Bible salvation won't stand at the white throne Judgment. Why? Because again, their sins have already been atoned for in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Judgment already took place at the cross for them. And so whenever you receive the work of the cross through your salvation, your judgment was already taking place back then. All right? But, but, whenever we stand before God at the judgment seat, again, we're not being judged for our sin, we're being judged for our service. Amen. Which is an entire different purpose amen it's not to judge unbelievers here amen for eternal punishment but it's to evaluate the eternal rewards of believers uh, to break that down a little bit more this is not my notes but i know we have the ability we can go to things quickly now first corinthians go to first corinthians chapter number three somewhere around verse verse number 10 if you will first corinthians 3 verse number 10 and i don't let me check out time here okay you don't want to know but uh, anyway look at this just read with me and I'll shut up here very quickly. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Can we go on? For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Christ Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this, so the foundation we're building upon is Christ. We had the foundation. That foundation sure doesn't change. It is what it is. But we all individually have, we are responsible for how we build upon that sure foundation. Look. Now, if any man build upon his foundation, what, what's, what are you going to choose to build upon this foundation? Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, which when you consider, go back, you consider wood, hay, and stubble, it's things that are less permanent not as valuable it takes a little bit more to delve into the core of the earth to find those veins of gold and silver and precious stones but what are you going to place on this sure true foundation what, what is it going to be 
Amen. Going on now, verse number 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest. This is in reality, speaking of a little bit, what will be taking place at the judgment seat of Christ. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. The fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Look at verse number 14. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. So you've done some building, you have... What I'm trying to get out here this evening, the, the, the idea and the concept that what you do after your salvation experience, how you live your life, it matter or don't matter, the deeds or works that you do is a bunch of baloney. Your works do matter. They may not determine you in heaven or out of heaven, but they do determine the type of eternal war, rewards you get in heaven. Is someone listening to me? If any man's work abide which he build thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Look at verse number 15. If any man's work shall be burned, look, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. We're not talking about salvation here. You're still in heaven, yet you can suffer loss. If, if so, yet so as by fire. Do I go on verse 16? Let me see what it says if I know I want to go there. No, it's talking about you being the temple of God. So the judgment seat of Christ, those first resurrected saints go there. All right? They've already been judged from Calvary. All their sins have been judged at Calvary. They're not there for the purpose of sin being judged. They're there for their works and deeds being judged. And based upon how we function in this life, how we build upon this foundation, will determine eternal rewards for us in heaven. The Bible speaks of several crowns that's possible of gaining and obtaining. But all that depends on our works and deeds, how we build upon this true founded foundation does everybody understand what i just went through amen amen so please don't get caught up in this either. oh bless god god knows your heart he don't care what you do baloney if he's got something great up there just tremendous another little perk man i'm the overachiever i'm going for it <laughs> you know count me in now i know regardless we're gonna be happy because we're in heaven who cares, you know, but at the same point in time, understand it. Are you building with gold or precious stones or silver? Are you, are you doing with hay, wood, or stubble? We got a great foundation. You know, foundation would be great, but what are you doing upon the foundation? Well, how are you constructing? What are you going for? So judgment seat of Christ, judgment seat of Christ, first resurrection saints, the righteous resurrection, being judged for their deeds. After the millennial reign, the wicked dead, those that are dead, and that were wicked and died, rejected Christ, they're going to the great white throne judgment. And the books are going to be open there. Uh, the Bible's going to be open there. The Lamb's book of life is going to be open there. But you know what all that's going to determine? They're going to the lake of fire. They're going to the lake of fire. Amen. So I want to be accounted in this number over here. I want to be accounted in that number right there. If you'll stand with me tonight. We'll perhaps hit that again come Revelation chapter Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.